seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have me, Sacred Stone. <laughs> oh, this you crazy mother... Welcome, friends, to episode 196 of Color of Magic, your magic gaming podcast where we talk about all types of issues that affect gamers at and away from their gaming tables and computers. I am your host, Taquan Watson, and for 196, as we encroach on that road to 200, still got my main man, Brian Allen. How's it going, dude? Good, good. No major complaints. Well, at least not for this part. (laughs) We'll have some in a minute. Yeah, exactly. There's always something. We'll have some kind of complaint. You know, you know, this is I got to ask you because you're more of a baseball fan than I am. And this came up today on on Twitter. But I was telling people baseball had gotten to where it was mind numbingly slow a lot of the times. And it was hard if you weren't at a live baseball game, it was hard to watch on TV. And there was also the issue of like baseball does a lot of midweek games and stuff. So it's hard to go out when the game start at seven or eight. And, you know, it might be four hours, you know, and you, you, you got to still get to work in the morning or whatever, get the kids to bed. But I was thinking about this season, like the games are faster, you know, the more players trying to steal bases and stuff like it's just more exciting and more fun. And it seems to be working because their attendance seems to be up across the board for the most part. And ratings are up. Right. You know, viewership. So and I don't know if you saw the other day, Ellie De La Cruz apparently stole all the bases. That is insane. Yeah, that dude's a monster. Like between him and Shohei, and he was the ones I was talking about. It's just like, yeah, they are bringing a whole other level of interest and excitement that didn't exist before. But I don't know. I just like you being a bigger baseball fan. Like, how has it affected your viewing experience? I mean, we are seeing. You know, these are generational players. Like, I don't remember. I'm sure somebody said the last time somebody stole all of the bases, but I don't. I've never seen anybody do that. I've been watching for what? Well, it's like 40 years at this point. What Shohei is doing is phenomenal, and also it is really just, it is bringing, because Japan is revolutionizing the game. We are seeing so many Japanese players come over here and just crush it. So the game is becoming more diverse. It's becoming more exciting. This is this is just a, an amazing time right now. Well, that's cool, man. Yeah, there were some people, you know, obviously, like the, the traditionalists, like, I, I hate the faster pitch clock, and I hate the man on second for extra innings and blah, blah, like, but everybody else seems to like it. <laughs> it's making everybody more money. So I think they're going right? to Cause yeah, even as somebody, you know, that, that makes content from home and could sit there and watch a 14, 15 inning game. I, I probably don't want to, you know, it's just, dude, I know I did already. Yeah, I know I didn't, but I guess I bring it up to say like, Hey, if you thought baseball was too slow when it was boring, you might be worth checking out again. That's all, because I, I was on that boat of, like, I, I paid attention to it. I knew the stats. I knew who was doing what. But, like, it was hard to sit through a game. It was hard. But now I'm just like, you know, I might watch a couple more games this season. And, like, it's working. So credit to them. Before we get into everything else, though, got to tell you, check out our friends over at CoolStuffInc.com. Great people over there, supporters of the show. And you can save 5% on your order with code DRAGON. And what's cool, don't forget that they have a lot of stuff, not just magic stuff. So if you need other nerd things, you want to get some Pokemon stuff, you want to get some board games, they got a lot of stuff available on the site, and the code works on everything. So go over there, pick something up, and you'd be supporting the show. So go help us out. 
And if you want to support us directly, you can go to colorofmtg.com slash shop, get some merchandise. You can also go to patreon.com slash magic, and you can get a shout out just like Hubert Huang for supporting us. So thank you so much for that. And now let's get into some soap boxy things, because I think we're going to have this is kind of going to be a start to a, a wild day, because I think we got a lot of stuff to cover. And I want to start is like the interesting thing to me here is there was a post that went around Twitter a couple of days ago asking people if you'd rather have and this is sports ball for those of you who don't know these guys, but they were comparing two basketball players, Robert Horry, who I believe has been retired for like eight years or something now, but he had he had made 54 million in his career and has was on seven championship teams. And then you have a current player. And James Harden, who currently, I believe, has made almost $300 million and has no championship rings. And they were saying, like, which pile would you rather have? The $54 million and seven rings or the $300 million? And I just looked at that and instantly was like, I'm taking the $300 million. Like, the things, like, because for me, I felt like $300 million. Now, I will say, it's a different argument if you're saying it's at least $150 million in the seven rings. I think I'm having a, at least some hesitation in my decision. But for me, when you're talking about a difference of almost $250 million, I can literally go transform entire neighborhoods and rebuild schools or rec centers or like all kinds of stuff and have plenty of money left over. I, I could do like 50 projects with that much money. You know, when you're talking about helping people and communities and whatever for literal generations, 300 million is a lot of money. And for me, I was thinking about the fact of even when I had my business, right? I was doing pretty well, getting some recognition. And then we started getting, you know, best in whatever in local stuff or whatever. And I was like, okay, cool. I have some trophies and I have some stuff I can put on the wall, but those aren't paying bills. You know, those, those aren't, really doing anything for a legacy other than just like they exist great but even hell even for this show i have some trophies sitting on the wall like people aren't listening more because i got an award last year or whatever right like and that was the tough part for me because i'm like man give me the money all day but there were some people that truly believe they were just like well you know the history means more than the money I was like, all right, I guess. I I don't know in what world will that makes that big of a difference. I, mean, I guess it depends on it depends on what you value. You know, if you value the history more than the money. I mean, that's true. I, everybody's entitled to that. I think it's wrong, but you're still entitled to it. <laughs> and again, you it, it's up to everybody, I guess, how much money they think they need to have. Like, if you don't care for the $300 million, if that's not what's important to you, then I, that's cool. You know? Oh, for sure. I, that is definitely going to be a thing for some people. I was just stunned because, like, for me, it wasn't even a hesitation. Like, when you get to a point where the difference between 50 and $300 million, like, both are, I think, more than I would ever logically spend in my lifetime. Oh, sure. But I could do more with more. I mean, I just could. And it's not even a question. Like right and now, see, see, you thought about that. a lot of people aren't even thinking about like who else is going to inherit or what they can do more with. Yeah. And to me, I think what that's where my frustration came from with some people 
and I didn't take it out on anybody, but, you know, just internalizing when we talk about changing cultures and generational wealth and changing, you know, bringing up communities and whatever, it's like, this is the amount of money that could change that. Right. Like you, you could, like we were talking off the air, I could buy an entire section of town for $300 million. I could just go buy houses. Have you seen the last days of Tyler B. Gray on Apple? Cause this is what this kind of started to remind me of. Now. No, not at all, actually. Because there's a point where, you know, uh, without do it, being too spoilery, Ptolemy inherits a treasure. And the guy that gave it to him wants him to go out and uplift the black community. But at some point, you know, it's like, okay, you know, the people that you're trying to uplift do have to wish to be uplifted. Oh, no, no, that's true. I wouldn't just go do random people. Like, it would still be people either I knew or places I knew that were already, like, trying to raise money or whatever. Like I'd just be spending it on that kind of stuff. Like, but yeah, there's, there's a lot to be done with that. And I, and like I said, you know, we talked about it, like generational wealth doesn't even have to be just for me. I mean, they're, like I said, I got nephews I could take care of or their kids or, you know, schools of people. Cause hell underprivileged schools in a lot of places could use some money. Hell just to pay some better teachers or get some better computers. And, you know, you could do that for 10 different places or whatever. So I was just like, man, it, it was just amazing to me. Cause in my head, I was just like, man, the things I, the people I could help with that much money. Like, even if I put, let's say 20 million aside. So I never have to have a concern ever in my life through retirement. I can get whatever I want. The interest on that's going to be great. I'd still have piles of money to do tons with for people. Like it's such a huge number. Now that being said, I'm also aware that some people would blow it. <laughs> like yeah. there's people who would be overwhelmed by it. Like, and for some of them, they just need to take the smaller amount of money. Like it's still a lot and they're not going to destroy themselves. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and you still might even with 50 million, like yeah. some people might find a way. Also, if everybody in your family <laughs> knows <laughs> you got that much money, man. It's... Oh, see, I don't even got to worry about it. I just tell them kick rocks. Like that, that, yeah, that easy, easily said. <laughs> but you know, I know. I've told parent, family members right now to kick rocks before I even had that much money. So I definitely would say it if I had more. Like that is not even a hesitant. Matter of fact, here's a little personal thing. I don't think I've even told you about this. I had a day where one of my uncles called me because my brother was having an issue with something, and I was like, "Well, too bad." And he was like, "Well, that's your brother. You're just gonna start. like, yeah, the dude has opportunities. I've helped him before. So unless he gets his crap together, oh well." And that was the conversation. And they were stunned by it. But I'm like, you know what? If you're not trying to help yourself, I ain't wasting my time. And that blew them away. So, like, yeah, I would totally tell them that if they found out I have a big pile of money. Now, there are other issues that come with that because it may not be family that, yeah. you know, random other people find out and everybody's asking for a handout or whatever. But <laughs> And some people ask with a gun. So <laughs> there's that. That's also true. But I'll tell you what, I like... I think it's a thing too. You just learn to operate differently, you know? And I think that is a thing people don't consider when you, as you get more and more money, I feel like I've been very fortunate that I wouldn't say growing up, but at least as a young adult, you know, in my twenties, I got to meet a lot of people who had way more money than me. So I at least have some understanding of it. Now, admittedly, I'm probably never going to have the money they have, but even as I slowly gain a little bit here, a little bit there, I don't feel overwhelmed or have the concerns because I've kind of seen other people operate that space and gotten advice from them. 
but they you do learn that people definitely operate differently in that space. Uh, off air, I probably have some fun conversations I could tell you sometimes. Mm-hmm. Or I don't know, maybe those will make fun things for for just some content for the uh, patrons if they want that. I don't know. But uh, yeah, let's pass it on because I think you got something else. I don't want to hog too much time because we got a lot to cover this week. Uh, yeah, it's part of the uh, Texas, Texas be a Texas thing. Texas A&M was going to bring back its journalism program. I didn't even realize that they had stopped having that, but apparently they did offer a minor and I guess a liberal arts degree. But yeah, they had done away with their journalism program. We're in the process of hiring somebody from uh, from UT Austin to revamp it. And as they got further and further along in the process, people started expressing concerns because apparently they did some research. And uh, before before the lady became a professor, she was a working journalist, worked for the New York Times, which, you know, that usually <laughs> usually that opens doors for you. But in this case, they felt some of her work was just too woke. You know, it delved into issues of race and diversity, and it could cause problems. So almost overnight, it went from offering her something like a five, six-year contract to be the head of the journalism department to back to, here's a one-year deal, (laughs) not tenured, and we can fire you anytime anybody feels you've, you've been too woke. So, of course, she told them where to stick that job offer and will remain at UT Austin and whether Texas A&M will end up having a journalism program, who knows at this point, but that's what's happening right now. When you try to delve into matters of race. Is there anything anything more to say right now other than just Texas is dumb? (laughs) It's, it's, it's just sad. I mean, to, to think they would possibly rather not have a journalism program than to have any articles written or read that might portray white people in an unfavorable light. And we've That's even gotten to the point that I know people who are wanting to do game related stuff in Texas, and they're not even sure they want to do it now because they don't even want to deal with the headaches of what's going to come in from their business being inclusive or whatever. And just even and it sucks because they're small towns. I wouldn't say College Station is that small because you know they have a lot of college yeah. stuff, but there are some of these small towns where they could use that level of awareness or safe spaces, even. And people like it's so bad, people don't even just want to set up shop down there right now. Like it's it's pretty bad, it's a disaster. And as of right now, no signs that it's getting better. It seems to be by day getting worse. Yeah. I don't, I mean, hell, last week you had the Texas governor try to make it harder for people with disabilities to vote. And he himself is in a goddamn wheelchair. Yeah. It's, like, I mean. This is not the first time he has made things more difficult for disabled people. It's I'm just, like, I don't, I don't even understand that one. Like, you know what I mean? Like. Dude, of all things that you could relate to, like, geez. So, yeah. Well, I mean, he's, he's beholden, you know, to the right wing, pretty much. And there are large portions of the right that don't want to help anybody if it costs the corporation even slightly more money. Yeah, it's just a mess, man. It is a mess. But, all right. We do have some fun news to talk about. So, why don't we let everybody know what we learned this week? Because I think both of these things are actually going to be pretty interesting for people. 
Yeah, uh, Tracy Chapman has made history. She is the first black woman with a soul songwriting credit on a number one country hit. And if you're wondering how in the world did this happen, as I was, a country star Luke Combs has has done a cover of Tracy Chapman's a smash hit, Fast Car, and it's you know number one song on the country Billboard charts right now. So that and he's somebody you know that he said that his dad listened to all kinds of music. And uh, one of his favorite songs growing up was Fast Cars. It was one of the first songs he learned to perform on the guitar before he became Luke Combs and decided, hey, you know what? I love this song. I'm going to go ahead and cover it. Because really, if you look to the lyrics, it's a very country song. It's about, you know, jumping into your fast car and driving to the edge of your one-horse town and trying to figure out how to get out of here. It, it really is very country. Yeah, I guess at its core, it kind of is. Yeah, something you know that really everybody that that grew up in a small town they probably wanted to get the heck out of can relate to. So it's yeah, because we've had black guys get to number one, right? Yeah, we just haven't had any black women get to number one. And even then, I'm not sure if they wrote their own songs. I I don't know off the top of my head if if uh, Darius, I know Darius probably would be the one that I'm sure has done that most recently, and I don't know if he wrote those songs or not. I feel like Hootie was known for writing. So he might. Now I got to look up. Did Darius Rucker write his own music? <laughs> and of course, before him, I'm sure Charlie Pride probably had a couple of different ones. And again, don't know if he wrote those himself. But yeah, Charlie Pride would be a different one. I don't. I don't know enough about that one to be aware. Uh, let's see. Songs written by Darius Rucker. Uh, he has quite a few. Act- yeah, he probably yeah. did write his because he's got like. A lot. Okay. <laughs> now I'm going down the list. There's there's like 20. That's here. probably also why they said first black woman and not first black artist. So it's probably. Yeah. Actually, he only has of those. three writing credits as Darius Rucker. All the rest of his writing credits. Oh, that's not true. There's like four. And then the rest are all his, his Hootie and the Blowfish time. Yeah, because, I mean, he was doing pop music for a long time. Country is really just within the past maybe 10, 12 years he's been doing country, so. Uh, 07, 08, I think is when he got, at least started getting recognized for doing country stuff. Yeah, I knew it was. Yeah, I don't know. It's been a while, though. You put that, that again is awesome for her, and I, said, I have heard the song now, and yeah, it really is. I mean, he, he, he nails it, because he's one of the, Best uh, country stars out there right now. So I figured he would do a good job. And he has. So, Man, you know what's funny? That feels like one of those things that kind of want to needle some people and bring it up. But then you also don't want to start nothing but bringing it up. You know what I mean? <laughs> but yeah, it, it's important, though, because we are not that far removed from what country radio called Tomato Gate, where apparently a country record exec went on, was, went on record as saying that if country music is like a salad, Women are like tomatoes, and they should be used sparingly in that salad. So, wow, <laughs> yeah, wow, was, what? Yeah, considering okay. how many of the biggest artists in country music history have been women, that was a ridiculous thing to say. Yeah, no joke. Like, Did you tell me Dolly Parton should be used sparingly? Not just that, but like Reba McIntyre, right? Shania Twain. Shania, like, I was going to say mean, Shania. Right now, Car- who's bigger than Carrie Underwood? Nobody. Yeah, like that's that. Yeah, that's just yeah. ignorance. I think on American Idol, Carrie Underwood brought country music into the, into the homes of people that would have probably never heard it otherwise. That's also true. 
such as and in fairness, so did Reba and Dolly and Shania. It's, oh, Reba had a damn sitcom that ran for right? like five seasons. Yeah, there are people that probably <laughs> only know Reba from the sitcom, and she's done a couple of movies too. So oh, there are man. probably people that only know her as an actress. Well, there's some other fun news out there this week. I say fun. It's just very interesting. When you want to talk about a game being dominant in a category, we, whether people want to admit it or not, you've got to take a look at Blizzard and Diablo 4. Like, a lot went into this game. They hyped it up for a couple of years before it came out. Had a huge ad campaign because in any major city you're in, you probably saw ads for it downtown. They did cross promotions with TV shows, whatever. They were all in. They basically said, this is it. We're pushing all of our chips in the middle. <laughs> if, if this doesn't work, we're probably bankrupting the company. They have already crushed it. As of this past week, I believe the numbers were over $600 million they have generated already. And that's only since it's been, what, a month out of beta? Once it went live for the public? That's crazy. $600 million is so much for a video game. And not only that, it's a free-to-play game that's all like microtransactions and stuff. It's a great summer for gaming. I mean, you've got that, Street Fighter Six, And dude, what messes me up is I haven't even had a chance to play Diablo yet. And I already know as soon as I log on, because I'm seeing some of the stuff people are posting, I'm like, they're probably getting $30 out of me just for skins and random right. armor and other crap. Like, So I already know as soon as I download it, might as well just give them a credit card because the money's going out of that account. Like, they have, They've apparently done a bunch right. And this is before, because they still have like their season pass and challenge stuff or whatever coming, and that's going to have a whole separate thing. This game could easily be over a billion dollars come February-ish. And that's if the season pass stuff, whatever, doesn't kick it off. They might get there before the end of the year. That's unbelievable. It is a juggernaut. Yeah, like you talk about a franchise that's held up. And, and even crazy, we think about how old Diablo is, and there's only four of them. Oh, I guess technically there was like the mobile thing or whatever they did for a while, whatever yeah. that thing was called. So I guess there's like five. But realistically, in the major part of the series, there's only four. And it's still even held, what, 10 years between versions or whatever it feels like? Because <laughs> Diablo 3, people were playing that for what felt like oh, yeah. 12 years or something. I was like, goat status <laughs> confirmed. Yeah, like this. I think when we, and I and it's weird because I think when we talk about greatest games and you know largest properties or whatever, for whatever reason we don't really mention Diablo <laughs> until now. Yeah, you kind of <laughs> have to now though, right? Because because we'll all say like, well, you know, the Mario series or Call of Duty or blah. It's like, okay, yeah, those are all great, but. We're just kind of sleeping on Diablo sometimes. Diablo has pulled out its pitchfork and slapped his crud the face with it. Yeah, I mean, it's done a lot to keep Blizzard making extra money. One you of know? the baddest games of all time. Yeah, so that's oof, 600 million. That that number is gigantic. And we knew it was going to be big because they had already posted numbers. Like I said, they were doing a couple yeah. of million per day while it was in beta. Yeah, it was in beta, so yeah. It, we, we knew it was going to be huge. It was confirmed to be just... Yeah, that is crazy. I mean, is I mean, 
I know there's a whole bunch more incredible games coming out, but how do you ignore that when it comes time to vote for game of the year? Because what exactly are any of these other games going to (laughs) clear? As you said, possibly a billion transactions by. And I, I guess in theory. That probably shouldn't count towards your vote, but I mean, how can it not? Well, dude, some of these other games coming out aren't even going to get 100 million. Right. You know what I mean? And you're talking about a game that's very, I almost, I'm willing to say easily going to cross 10 times that. Like, that is unbelievable. So, yes, it's very possible the game of the year race locked up in July. Yeah, because I'm trying to think of other stuff that was on the dock. There was some cool stuff announced, but I'm like, is anything going to get this many people playing it for this long? Hard, hard to imagine. And spending that much money? So Street Fighter may turn out to be every bit as good, but it's more of a niche product. It's just not even. But I hear this one is a lot easier than than a lot of the previous ones. Just not everybody's going to play a fighting game. Just- well, yeah, and even for Street Fighter, like you know, you sell a million copies. That's going to be great for them. And they'll still make, you know, 60, 70 million dollars. Awesome. Maybe you have some cool downloadable DLC somewhere along the way that costs people five to ten bucks or something. You sell a couple hundred thousand of those. Great. But you're not even coming close to what Diablo's done. It's like, well, there is a new Super Mario game coming in October. Again, it that, there you go. <laughs> if anything, because as we know. Mario just pretty much does not put out bad games. I, the, the thing about Mario, and it began when people want to hate on Mario series, it's like you have to understand they have already dialed in at Nintendo what Mario is. One of the things we talk about in content a lot is knowing your audience, knowing who you're marketing to, shaping everything around that. Nintendo knows exactly what they're doing with Mario products. Even when you play them between different styles of games, they always have a similar feel. You almost feel comfortable playing them, even though you've played it for the first time. Like they know exactly what they're doing with that property. It's so uh, smart also, I don't, know, I don't know how I forgot, but uh, Spider Man 2, October 20th. So that's, you know, they're going to make a stupid amount of money. Probably yeah. not Diablo money, but still, if everybody with the PlayStation 5 will probably end up having that one. Yeah, that one could hit 100 mil, probably, if you sell enough of them. I could see that. But yeah, good on them, man. That, that's just awesome. But let's get into some of the other topics we got going on this week. So we're back to preview time. Though, to be fair, it feels like we actually haven't had previews for a little bit. So, hey, good on them for kind of spacing stuff out. But this time it's Commander Masters. And they started this past Tuesday. Or actually this past this week, Tuesday. And people, while the cards are nice, I will say the selection so far has been very good. So no hating on that. But I think people have been concerned about the price. And we've seen various numbers on pricing across the internet. So we don't really know what it's going to settle in at yet. And I think some of that is also going to come down to what the final set looks like and how many people go to pre-order. So right, right now on Amazon, I think it's going for 420 basically. Yeah. And... To be fair, that's kind of in line. I mean, you can find someone TCG player in about like the 375 to 400 range. So anywhere between 375, 420. But this is kind of in range with the double masters that we saw before. And that sold fantastically well. But double masters, you know, is is supposed to be like commander is in theory supposed to be a casual format, right? Let me let me say this, though. 
even when I had my store, you would have people that would say, oh, I play Commander because it's cheaper and I don't have to buy these cards for rotating formats or whatever. And then they just come in with a list that's just every foil, special, rare vo- version of everything, and they want to give you like $400. So... And I mean, if they want to, they're... Oh, you know, dude, that's they're very common, though. That's very. There's a lot of people who bling out some decks. But I'm going to be out there with my... <laughs> with my start... With my... Uh, I think it's Eowyn is the starter deck for Lord of the Rings. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what I'm going to be out there with. So but that's totally to fine. And, and let me say this, right? The part of the good news of this is them reprinting cards is going to bring prices down on some stuff. Like, that's one of the things that makes the selection so good so far is there are a lot of cards that came out only in commander decks that they've not really had enough opportunities to reprint those. So but some I mean, of these cards that have been going the price going to come down if people can't afford to buy the boxes? Oh, but the boxes are going to get bought. Like, that's I guarantee you. Even if it's just people long-term buying it to resell singles or whatever, like, they're going to get bought. I don't think that's going to be a problem at all. Like, we people thought the same thing about Double Masters and everything else, and that brought the prices of stuff down. The the difference here, though, I think, is that it felt... Now, admittedly, we've only seen, like, half of the rare... Half of the Mythics or something and, like, a third of the rare. So, still a lot to be previewed. Yeah, and so far, people seem largely unimpressed <laughs> with what's been spoiled so far. Well, see, I've seen the opposite. I Like, a lot of key cards have been reprinted, and there's not a lot of bulk. That's the important thing to me, because... While sometimes we've had reprint sets or master sets where the upper end of what gets reprinted is awesome, where you're like, oh, these $50 cards or these, you know, big $70 cards got reprinted. There was also a bunch of like 99 cent, 50 cent, you know, 25 cent rares that got tossed in there. So your your while your ceiling was very high, your floor was also very low that you could open. And it feels like now your floor is going to be a lot higher, and that's going to be a better buying experience. Also, packs are going to have more cards. You're going to get at least two rares and or mythics in your boosters and a chance for more because of like foils and other insert stuff or whatever. So you could potentially open a pack that's got three, four rares or mythics in it on top of that. So... This is actually shaping up to be pretty solid, I think. And now, the market will always take care of itself anyway in this case. If vendors don't have a bunch of pre-orders in another week, you'll see prices just start coming down. Because, like, they want to move it. They don't want to be sitting on it. Because you're only going to have about, I believe, six weeks before you get the actual next standard legal set. So, they're not going to want to be sitting on that knowing that Eldraine is coming, and that's probably going to be a thing that's getting people to play more standard and whatever, and they're going to definitely want to have that available. So if it's moving, you'll see prices stay high. If not, pretty sure you're going to see, I won't say fire sale, but you'll probably see the price come down in the low 300s or whatever, just for people to get out from under it, move it on to get other stuff. Because while the big stores can, I think, afford to sit on products, the smaller stores and smaller vendors just aren't going to be able to. Not if you want to keep up and always have the new hotness, right? Like, you, you just got to dump product. And that we see that happen quite a bit. Kind of what happens with pre-cons a lot of times for uh, the commander decks. You'll see where if they're sitting around toward the end of a season, people just start dumping them for, hell, sometimes as soon as those $18 or $20 a piece if you buy them as a set. But then within a year's time, like a lot of commander sets, they end up going back up. And then those things you paid, you know, let's say 80 bucks for are worth like 120 or so you know, in 
six to nine months. So it, it's very interesting. You know, it's it's an interesting thing. But I think we're still going to have to wait, uh, you know, another three, four days, see what some of these rest of these uh, rares and mythics look like to really get a vibe for or a feel for what we think is actually going to be the value for this. But so far, it's looking pretty good. It's just individual packs and boxes are going to be pricey. But I think we kind of knew that going in, even though we don't like it. <laughs> you know, like, it just kind of is what it is. But I believe the going rates you're seeing right now, like we said, you know, if you want the set boosters, they're in that 375, 400 range. Collector booster boxes are still fairly affordable from what I could see. They're not, but that's comparing it to, you know, coming off Lord of the Rings where they were crazy, crazy money. And yeah, pre-con decks are probably going to be still pretty pricey for a minute because I think you have one of them as like a Sliver deck and one is an Eldrazi deck and both of those are super popular with people. So I wouldn't be surprised if those stay, I don't know, man, 90-ish dollars plus. But I would say you could probably find deals if you get all four of them and probably save yourself some money if you're willing to do that. But that does bring up, I guess, another interesting point to talk about that we're coming off a of Lord of the Rings, right? That has, I mean, I, I really, I feel like we say this a lot about Magic, but again, this might be their best selling set, you know? And for as much as we talk about Wizards are doing this, we don't like this decision, they're printing too many cards, they're killing the game, whatever. I feel like that's been a thing for like three, four years now. And each year we've said at least once, if not twice, oh, look, they have a new best selling set. Like, so it's like, I don't know. But this is interesting, right? Because it sort of feels like Wizards, I'm sure they paid a large amount of money to get to have the Tolkien license or whatever yeah, on their products. So, undoubtedly. Yeah, I can't imagine that came cheap. Even if it's just like you have to give up a percentage of sales or something, even if they didn't pay outright for the license, it's going to cost them a large amount of money. But I think they made the decision to just double down on it across the board. Because you've got like the starter sets are based around it and they have good stuff in there. You've got the commander decks that they kind of went all out on and there's some cool stuff in there. And then the set, of course, is good. Then you've got the one ring that you could chase down. And then we had the uh, serialized soul rings. And hell, I don't even know how much they spent on artwork for this thing. Their art budget had to be absurd. Because <laughs> right? it feels like everything got multiple pieces of art or whatever. Oh, and not even talking about like the box toppers and stuff that also had different art you know that's a thing but it all seems to be selling i think there was the concern because we saw the one ring get found and then literally the morning of once that announcement happened you saw prices go from like 500 thereabouts per box several places were down in the 350 range i saw some close to 300 people immediately said okay i gotta dump them and get rid of them because nobody's gonna want them but then over the last week what we've seen is they're back around the 400 range now and it's like, wait a minute, this set is just popular enough that those still have value. Like, people didn't want to dump out of it as fast as I think everybody thought they were going to. And that is a good sign, I think. I think that's the only way we can look at it. It's like, people want this set enough that prices are still strong, despite there not being the one ring. I've seen more activity and discussion now about the serialized soul rings. And I've seen a few people posting them on social media as they found them. And that kind of tracks, right? Now that the news is gone of the one ring being found, it's like, well, what's the next cool thing? 
And that's sort of the thing people have been able to, to uh, talk about. And now what are those going for? Uh, I've seen as low as a thousand. I don't think I've seen one sell for less than that. So that's a, well, that's not the one ring. It's definitely not bad. Yeah, but I've seen some on the upper end go for like 2,500. And there may be some that have gone higher than that. I've, I've heard stories. I've only, those are the only ones I've seen. And then, of course, it's like, you know, is it the one that's limited to 300 or 700 or 900? So that makes a difference. And it's also, are there key numbers that you have? Because I believe somebody had a single digit one that went pretty high. And then somebody had, uh, was it like Lucky 13 or something? I think that also sold pretty well. So, and there's also going to be people that are out just trying to get one of all their favorite numbers or, you know, whatever, kind of like in sports. If, if you're a fan of a player, they want to get the one that matches their Jersey number or whatever. That's, that's always a thing, but yeah, it's, it's pretty cool to see because I, again, I'm not a huge Lord of the Rings fan. I enjoy it, whatever, but I'm you know definitely not in super fan category, but to see that, we're at the stage that even with the biggest thing that could happen or be found or whatever that people thought was going to be all the hype and it was going to kill the prices and everything's going to tank. It really didn't. And people seem to still be moving it pretty well. And that's feels like good news for everybody. I mean, your cards are holding more value, which is good. If you're a retailer who bought these, you didn't take a bath on it once the one ring was found. But again, I would say keep an eye on it because as people start buying commander masters, <laughs> you know there may be an opportunity and then the same thing on commander masters once we start talking about eldraine there may be an opportunity so keep an eye on different store i would even say you know especially on smaller entities because they're the ones that are going to be struggling the most to turn over product to be able to buy that next thing but that's always the thing that's out there i think it's something people just don't think about but uh let's talk about something that might affect content creators Have you ever heard of a product a product called GoXLR, Brian? So yeah, for those of you that don't know, GoXLR is actually, well, it, it stems from a, a type of technology called XLR, which is basically helps you plug in audio devices so that you can control their levels. You And GoXLR was a really nice uh, piece of equipment that had, you know, slider bars and knobs or whatever to help you adjust your volume so you can get your perfect sound and you know what's coming into your headset and all that good stuff and it was kind of i don't think i'd be wrong to say was becoming the industry standard or at least the the coca-cola brand if you will of xlr devices when you'd hear people talk about it go xlr was the thing that got mentioned most of the time but oddly TC Halcyon, the company that owns it, posted up on the four on the third, actually, that they were just letting the developers that work on GoXLR go. And nobody really knows why. It sort of just was a thing. And it's very strange because nobody has an explanation or even a hint of why this was a thing. We just all know that it is. And I will say. Two years ago, I believe it was, some of the leads that they had on GoXLR moved to another, start another company called Beacon. And they kind of made, I would say, a more streamlined version of the GoXLR that has been getting traction and wherever people said good things about it. 
the microphones that I use, and I think also Brian uses, that has kind of a built-in software for that. You know, if you're using the Elgato Wave 3. So other people have kind of found solutions to do similar or mimic what it does anyway. But it was still weird to see kind of like, I guess what you could call the industry leader, just cut their team. And it came out of nowhere. And the only thing they've said so far is that they're considering making the source code open source. So if a third party wants to work on it or do updates or whatever, they can. But at this point, I kind of have to say, if you've been considering getting a GoXLR, I probably wouldn't. No joke. I mean, I think there's other software or hardware that's out there that you can get. Some of it software that's out there that you can get. And they're going to do an equal job or close to it. And I'd rather have a thing that's going to be able to get regular updates, even if it's just, you know, the simple compatibility stuff. Because, you know, at some point, Windows is going to update and stuff isn't going to work. You know, anybody who's used OBS knows pretty much every time there's an OBS update, half the stuff you have plugged in or use or whatever needs to be updated or whatever to work with it. So, yeah, I just couldn't imagine wanting to have an XLR at this point which sounds like they're still going to have the product available and you can still buy it. And their Discord will remain open. (laughs) Yeah, so it's like, it's a weird situation. So it's not like it's even being discontinued or whatever. It's just, yeah, they're trying to figure it out as they go along at this point. So yeah, I just want to put that out there for anybody who's an aspiring creator or maybe you're just trying to do stuff for audio because, you know, it works for musicians and stuff too, I suppose. I would just steer clear of it for now till we figure out What's going on? Because I don't think any of us know what to expect from it going forward. So remember last week we were talking about how everybody was going to these different social platforms because Twitter was restricting people viewing stuff or whatever, which to this point, it seems like they still are. I don't even know the status of that right now. Being honest, that's where we're at with Twitter. I don't even know. And in fairness, <laughs> Elon probably doesn't either. <laughs> it's just, it's where we are. But a lot of people went over to Threads, which, by the way, I think Threads saw something like, was it like a 1.2 million users or something in the first couple, in the first day? So that's insane for a new social media platform. But people also later were just discovering things that were in the terms of service. And they didn't know. Because everybody just clicks the button and doesn't read stuff. Now, I will say this. I kind of already knew going into it, but I was reading mostly because I suspected it was going to be effed up. But I sort of knew the agreement of like, if I need to do business there because that's where people are, then it sucks. But whatever. Uh, Also, by the way, it says the Threads app launched uh, by Instagram, which is still all owned by the same people. uh, Seen more than 100 million users sign up in five days. That is absurd. <laughs> which broke the record from ChatGPT, which was less than 100 million, obviously. But back to the point, a bunch of people decided, hey, what's going on? Let me look into this. Because, you know, we have history with Twitter and Facebook and some of these other things like sharing information. Well, guess what? People flipped out because they're like, wait, you can just use all my information because. It says so right here, including random stuff. Like if you at some point in the future tie in a, let's say like a Fitbit or a wellness tracker or whatever. Yeah, they can use that data too. 
Like, all of it. And even better, because I was looking at this, unless they changed it in the last couple days, the agreement says you can't even shut down your Threads accounts without also shutting down your Instagram account. So you tie them together, and they are now together forever. And if you get rid of it, they both go. This is ridiculous. <laughs> Just why is why would they do that? I have no idea. Now, the first part we know is a money grab, right? Like you get all thing information's power. You can sell it to brand partners. You can use it to leverage marketing deals, whatever. But the Instagram part, I at least had an inkling of an idea. They may not know how, right? Because it's possible. They say, okay, we want you to sign up. We want to link your Instagram account so we know they're verified and they're all good, whatever. They may not have anything in place that if I hop on threads and realize, eh, I don't really like this app and I want to delete my account, they may not have a way to turn that off without turning off my Instagram account. And it wouldn't be the first time we've heard of companies having weird stuff like that. So who knows? But it's definitely a point of contention that came up. And people were not happy when they discovered that was a thing. Understandably, like that's that's a, I, that's a ridiculous thing. Why would well? I guess I know why you do that. You want to get people into something they haven't read and then keep them locked into it. Yeah, I guess Especially so. If you have a bunch of Instagram followers, you're not deleting your Instagram. That's true. There are people that you know. There people that that's the primary platform they create content on. In some cases, so you're not deleting it. I will say it is weird, though, because, I mean, anybody who's used Instagram for any amount of time can tell you it's sort of become a mess from what it once was, where you used to just see stuff from most of the people you followed or your friends, and like an occasional thing that was related would pop up in your your feed. But it was mostly like a way to share pictures and short videos of, you know, whatever. Like, it was a very visual platform. But over time, if you log into Instagram now, it's a bunch of things and people that you don't even know just being shared with you or whatever. It's very weird. It's a weird experience. But if threads is just largely going to be becoming a better version of that. Now, admittedly could be less visual because some people can just post text, but if it's largely going to be the same thing, why would I ever need to use Instagram anyway? So that's kind of the other thing too, is are they able to sell more ads or sell their business to being bigger by saying, oh, well, we have this many Instagram users and this many Threads users. Or we can also still sell you ads on Instagram because there's this many active users or whatever. Because they technically are active. You know what I mean? Like, it feels like there it could be several kind of shady things attached to it. So, I don't know. I don't know what the real reason is. But it definitely got people up in a huff. But if you're thinking about signing up for Threads, I thought it was something people should probably know. Because while it's not, I wouldn't call it hidden. Because it was very easy to see. It's not like you had to like scroll through and find it. Like it's it's kind of just there in your face. But you do have to at least take the time to read it. Yeah, and again, who reads the things they sign up for? Nobody. <laughs> a lot of people don't. Like I've over the years learned to do it just because of business stuff. And I kind of need to know, I felt like. But I would say, hell, 99% of the people probably don't. I, I bet it's only people that have a specific business interest or concern are the only ones that read it. 
everybody else, I think, just signs up and goes, ah, oh, whatever. It's typical TOS like everybody has. And then, of course, they'll have something happen and be like, you can't do that. And I'm like, well, yeah, actually, we can. You know, same way people sign up for these different games, not realizing that, like, they can just shut down your account. And a lot of them don't owe you anything. Hell, some of them that do, they only owe you, like, the equivalent of what, like, a, a sign-up or initial membership one-month fee or whatever would be. So all your money's just lost. But people don't want to think about that. They just go on, sign up, do their thing. So there's all kinds of I think of a lot stuff. of people learn that because when Multiverse, in theory, you know, shut down to at some point come back next year, they refunded nobody anything. If you've bought characters or skins or whatever. Yep. Because supposedly they'll be back in 2024, and I wouldn't bet a plug nickel on that actually happening. No, and even if they're not, I bet you their TOS thing probably says they don't owe you anything. And people are going to be mad about it. But I I feel like like we know it's a thing at this point, but people still won't read it, and people will still be shocked. I literally, at this point, just assume if I'm too lazy to read it, everything I'm spending is just, I just write it up as entertainment money that's gone. Doesn't matter. And if now usually I'm signing up for games that have like a real lifespan to them of a few years. So I don't mind, you know, like the money I'm going to get my money's worth out of it. I'd probably only be mad if it was something like multiverses or whatever. The the recent magic product that that uh, the crossover thing that was supposed to be like the, the Diablo magic game or whatever it was. Oh, like, yeah. Magic Legends. I believe. Yeah. That thing shutting down in like two months or whatever it was. Right. Like. Something like that I'd I'd probably be bothered by because you didn't even get to use you literally just bought a thing and didn't even get to use it. You know, kind of the same thing on multiverses. Like you, you might have got in and use your stuff for a month. You know, like that would bother me. But you know, once you a game's a couple years old or whatever, eh, it is what it is. But yeah, just something interesting. I just figured it was worth pointing out. People should pay attention to it. But let's uh wrap things up with a pretty interesting conversation here in the dinner table. Because this one, I don't even know. I feel like we might be all over the place on this one. This is going to be an interesting one. But the question we're posing today is, do we feel black creators should do more to push or promote black culture within their content? And man, this is, this is like, I almost want to say a little yes, a little no. And I, and I know that feels like a cop out. But, I mean, hell, I, I've talked about it before. I mean, I've mentioned Snoop Dogg and Martha Stewart and had people get mad. You know what I mean? Like, so, like, like, imagine if I was talking, like, I don't know, I'm just, like, casually talking about the origins of Death Row Records or something while I'm playing Magic or something. You know what I mean? Like, how much hate does that get? If me literally mentioning what what is in every way a very wholesome show with Martha Stewart and, and Snoop on it. That, so like, that yeah. just blew my mind when you told me that. I mean, I can't say I was surprised by it, but it was more annoyed than surprised, I would say. Yeah. So like, but I also get the idea of the importance of it, right? Like if I'm on there sharing stuff or talking about things that maybe people that aren't part of the black community or part of black culture don't understand. Even if there's a way I could bring it up jokingly or mention it kind of as just like ancillary to the conversation. I'm still using that opportunity to educate people 
kind of normalizing some things that people just may not know about, right? It could be anything from types of food. Maybe I'm talking about, I don't know, remembering somebody getting their hair done in the kitchen with a hot comb. You know what I mean? Like, like, hell, I probably just said that right now. And some people went, what? You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. A hot what comb. is this hot comb? You yeah. Speak that, that's there. a thing. Like, but stuff like that, right? Like that people just don't know if you're not part of it. You could still be using that opportunity to educate some people. And like I said, you kind of normalize some things. But it's also a lot to ask of some people because we've talked about it on the show before, right? We're already dealing with some level of scrutiny, judgment, you know, outright racism in some cases when you're already just doing the normal thing. And if you're already fighting an uphill battle, especially to get eyeballs on your get views for various things or partnership deals or whatever, you're not as you're not going to be as inclined to want to present more of that other thing that's not in the space yet. Right. You almost and I get how a lot of people feel safer doing it as they get more publicity or they get more notoriety because then they have less to lose because they've already built up their community. People know who they are a little more. And they accept more of those interactions. But when you're new and you're just trying to make it, like you don't necessarily want to gamble anything that's gonna alienate anybody. So it's it's tough, man. I don't know. Like how do how do you feel? Like where like where where does that sit for you? I mean, I very rarely center myself. So it's like, well, whatever comes out of my mouth to some extent is the thing that came out of my mouth. And if you don't want to hear it, oops, you probably shouldn't be listening to my content. But yeah, I get that, as you said, for some people that have really are just starting, they might want to, it's just, it's frustration. you know. Yeah, because you don't want to rock the boat necessarily when you're new, right? You also don't want to get the reputation of being that person if it's not your brand, right? But, then, but I, and I guess for me, it really is kind of my brand or, hey, if I say something that, you know, I'm, I'm hoping I get the end of listen to me talk for a couple of hours. Maybe you learn something you didn't know before. That is why we do things like, what did we learn this week? I'm hoping that oh, after yeah. I've talked for an hour or two that, you know, something you didn't know before I started talking. Also, why are we talking? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I'm one of those people too. I, I use silly phrases I've used before. I grew up hearing or whatever. Sometimes stuff will just pop up on in, in my conversation while I'm talking to my viewers. And I don't even think about it. And some people, it, it does resonate with them and it's relatable and, and they like it. You know, there's, hell, there's, I would say like once a month, there's always some knucklehead that tries to correct your speech because you use some slang term or some dialect or whatever. And it's like, Really? Oh, I, the most recent, I mean, really, just, most recent one. I I said something like, "Well, might as well just do this because if not, we're losing next turn anyway." And he's like, "It's might as well." And it's like, "Duh!" Like I like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> like, do you not just have fun when you talk? Like, we're not in an English dissertation presentation. Like, what do you, what do you, what is this? You know. But even that is hard for some people to just here and not say something about hell i saw it on tiktok today somebody was trying to tell a story and it was a funny joke that they were trying to like roll out and then because they said axe you know instead of ask 
Like that had to be the point of conversation. And it's like, dude, really? The person's telling a joke. Like, whatever, get over it. Right? It's not like they're trying to make a special presentation to a bank to get a loan or something. Yeah. Like, geez. And I'll tell people, I know how to present myself. I know how to speak to properly to different audiences, whatever. But when you're just casually having fun, whatever. Just have your fun. But even that, like I said, can draw attention and be problematic for people. So I get how some people or why some people don't want to do it. It's it's unfortunate, but I get it. I mean, I'm willing to do it a lot of the times and just take it on the chin. But hell, when you've had people threaten to just burn down your business or call the cops because they think you're dealing drugs out of the back end of your store. After a while, things just stop mattering. Yeah. You know, like, you're just like, yeah, what are you going to do? Like, when somebody threatened to, like, dox me, I'm like, you think I haven't had the cops show up at my house before when I ain't done nothing? <laughs> like, like you would be the third person to have something like that happen. Like, go for it. So, yeah, like, but I'm with you, right? It is it is kind of our brand in a way. So we don't worry about it as much. But, yeah. Boy, say, do I feel people should? I think as a statement, I would say where people can, it probably benefits them and the culture in the long run to do so. But I do also understand if it's not something you can focus on doing when you're just trying to make a go of it and get your foot in the door. Because there's a lot already for people to absorb and you're already taking strays from different places, you know, when you ain't even really done anything that like I get it. I really do. Like, it's all right to not do it. But hey, you know, let's also give credit and support and cheer on those that are doing it because it is a hard thing to do. All right, Brian, want everybody where they can find you on socials and we'll wrap this up. I am Brian Sonic on Twitter, YouTube and Instagram. And you can find me just about everywhere at Power Dragon, even including threads over there. I already locked it down. Go check it out. But as always, got to tell you, wherever you're listening, whenever you're listening, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Please take care of yourselves and your family. Most importantly, remember to be awesome and be awesome to each other. If you'd like to further support Color of Magic, you can find us on our website at colorofmtg.com. We also have a Patreon if you'd like to donate other patreon.com slash color of magic. You can also find us on Facebook under color of magic. And if you want to follow us along at Twitter, you can find us there at color of MTG. And as always, please share the podcast around to your friends, your network, people you think might enjoy it because every little bit helps as we're trying to increase our user base. 